praise his great name in prayer. Lord, you are worthy. You are high and lifted up. And I think of that and the inheritance that we are when we meet you and you come back. Lord, the inheritance of our praise, the inheritance of our prayers, the inheritance of your people. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to sing praise to you with friends that we have never encountered in this room, with people that we've known for years, family members, guests. Lord, thank you for your presence being here. I ask, Lord, now that as I open up your scriptures, the words that you've given me and I've meditated on, Lord, would be clear, be succinct, Lord, and cause us to walk in a manner worthy of you from this point until we meet again. In your name, Jesus, we ask these wonderful things. Amen. Have a seat. Good morning. It is good to see you. And um, Mr. Matthew, we'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're beginning a series as we look at the gospel. We look actually at the epistle of Peter. If you know, Peter was a guy who walked with Jesus, came early on in the ministry of Jesus, walked with him for years. It was the guy who would put his foot in his mouth many times. It was the guy who denied him in the most important time. It was the guy who well, met Jesus, was fed by Jesus after the denial, restored. The guy and who preached a sermon, thousands came. And yet a guy that Peter rebuked later on because he was aligning with Judaizers and, and he just has a rich history. And in that rich history, he, he penned a letter, he wrote it to a group of churches that were gathered in what we would call modern-day Turkey-ish area. And we examined last week that it would be an area that if Jerusalem would be, Colton would be the Inland Empire, it would be about as far from here as Eugene, Oregon is to us today. And then, and then you would have Eugene, Oregon being the place, the central area, and then you'd have all the way up to British Columbia, Spokane, Washington, Boise, Idaho and Eureka, and you think of that, that general area, and Peter is writing a letter to them. Give some general applications, some general ideas of these churches and what to do and, and how to apply. These churches are going through a lot, and, and I think that much like we need to understand cultural things, so these churches are going through a lot. And in those churches and at that time, the idea that, that you would have to declare if you were a, a pagan, if you were a Gentile, you were a non-believing Christian, or not, you can't be a non-believing Christian, can you? If you were, um, you were just a regular person in that community, you would declare the lordship of Caesar. You would say, Caesar is lord, and you would bow, and, and great, you'd be able to do commerce, and you'd be able to do um, business, you'd be able to have a thriving family potential. And then on weeks of paterfamilia, where the dad, the, the grandpa or the dad, is the sole person with authority in that household. And the dad had the authority over the wife, over the children, over everybody within that umbrella of that. So much authority that it said that the dad could go to the Senate in Rome, and the dad could correct a senator in Rome. And, and even though politically the guy would... Um, oversee him. If that was his son or his grandson, the dad could have dramatic authority over that guy. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks. And then, you know, we had hopelessness. The church was hopeless. It was going through some tremendous struggles, trials and suffering, trials and personal wealth. 
as you read First Peter and you begin to unpack it, you're going to see that one of the things they put their trust in was their ability to have financial resources. And, and, and so Peter makes this comparison that your faith is of greater worth than gold and silver. And why does he do that? Because they valued gold and silver. If they would have thought trout were the most important things in their life, you would have said, your faith is worth more than trout, right? If they would have thought that, that prestige was it, they would have said, your faith is greater than that. But, but he uses the illustration to get to the point that what they struggled with was personal wealth and, and outcast as a rest. And this is not a church with hundreds of years of history. It, it, Colton Community Church played uh, 65 years, 70, I'm looking in the back row, way back there, and they didn't have that. They had been around for 10, 15, 20 years, maybe. Their grandpa wasn't a believer. Maybe their dad wasn't a believer. And so if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you were thought of as an atheist, you were thought of as an outcast. And imagine you're going to the family party, you're going to the celebration, and they think, oh, there's a weird person. They believe that Jesus, they believe in Jesus, um, whoever he is, and they, they would outcast you, maybe they would ostracize you, maybe they would kick you out of the family. And so you couldn't go to the family functions anymore. You couldn't cooperate with that. Sometimes you wouldn't be able to do commerce. Sometimes you wouldn't even be able to um, work in the store. And Jesus, well, you're fired. You know, um, those kind of things. And so you were an outcast in society. And as a result, the pressures that you would feel being a Christian would be tremendous. And so you would remember the times that you would engage in fleshly appetites and whatever it was, you know, it was a temple worship of some sort. It was, it was following and, and following the ways that you used to follow the world that you used to live in. And whatever fleshly desires that was, those were constantly pulling at you and tugging at you and saying, Come on back. You can have Jesus, just don't have too much of him. You can have, you can have Jesus, just don't, have, you know, just don't be a fanatic for him. Just don't be weird about it. And just keep... That's what the world was constantly putting pressure on. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Kind of, there are some things that we can, we can relate to. Trials and sufferings, people in the community trusting in personal wealth, engaging in fleshly appetites, feeling like outcasts. Demanding sometimes, that not that we call Caesar Lord, but demanding that we bow to society. First Peter has applications to us, many applications. And so we're going to spend our time looking at First Peter for the next couple of weeks. We're going to walk all the way from now till Easter with First Peter. As Patricia said, we've got some great plans. Great plans and, and some exciting things. And I'm going to need all of you. All of you on board for what we're going to do, and we're going to need your help, and we've got some great ideas, but we've got to get all the pieces put together to help make this happen, to help really have a very successful time where we introduce people to Jesus, and they fall in love with Jesus, and once they fall in love with Jesus, they say, oh, these are my people. They fall in love with you, and, and you become the hands and the feet that, that hold them together, that connect them, and all of a sudden they find themselves in love with the people of Jesus, and what can they do? They, they, they participate in the community. They, they come and they help trim the bushes on a Saturday morning or participate on a Sunday school morning or Wednesday night or Tuesday night or the upcoming new Bible study that's coming out. And, and they, you just can't help family that, that you are getting connected to. And there's no hopelessness. I think we live in a world today that's filled with stressors and hopelessness. If you listen to the news at all today, you'll see that there's worried about glaciers melting and, and Florida turning into a giant pond, right? You'll see that. 
um, there's insects that are now becoming extinct, and when insect becomes extinct, what happens? Well, the food chain kind of breaks, and all of a sudden, animals that, that relied on those bugs, are, they're, they're starving to death, and that's an issue. We have bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics, and so you go to a place that's supposed to make you better, and you end up getting sicker, and they just drench you and flood your system with as many antibiotics as they can because you got a bug that doesn't care what... We've got leaders purposely put him sideways. We've got leaders that are going sideways. That's a Venezuelan dude. Um, and, and the chaos that's just going not that far from us. You know, it's down in Venezuela. I have nieces and nephews from Colombia, and so it's a little close what's going on there. We have people worried about the economics. You know, there's a bubble coming. We've had a great ride for years, and, and ultimately, when's it going to pop? And, and if it does pop, if it does correct, how devastating will that correction be? We've got an atmospheric river. I was reading this week in the LA Times about the atmospheric river. You know, in California, we worry about the big one, right? We all know the big one's coming, correct? I just have to hope it doesn't happen at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. <laughs> this building's well built, but is it that well built? I don't know. Um, and so, but, you know, and they say that this atmospheric river, if it does what it did 120 years ago, will bring three to four times as much chaos as the giant earthquake. Atmospheric River, in 1860 about, there was a town called Aguamansa. You know, if you take Rancho Avenue down, go over the freeway, then you take a right on the road called Aguamansa. And Aguamansa, in about that time, about 1860, was the largest community east of Los Angeles, between Los Angeles and New Mexico. It was, it was, it was a thriving, growing community. And then the atmospheric river exploded, 60 inches of rain in, the, in just a matter of weeks. Agua got wiped off the map. The only thing left in that community now is a cemetery plot. Imagine what would happen. The, the diagrams that the LA Times had said the floods would come all the way up in, from Orange County all the way up, ocean water, all the way into Santa Ana. The devastation would be worse, worse, multiple times worse than a giant earthquake. We got that to worry about. Some people worry about the volcano that could erupt in Yellowstone, you know, with the Yogi Bear, oh, ho, 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 you know, he could just, <laughs> Little Boo Boo, was that Yogi Bear's buddy's name? Little Boo Boo, we got to go. There's a volcano coming. And so um, Yogi Bear, well, there are people that are worried about whether or not there's a giant volcano that's going to explode. And if that volcano in Yellowstone goes, then, then America just really has devastating effects. I say that because there are stressors that are externally pressing upon us. There are Stressors that are internally pressing upon you. Relationships in your life are sometimes stressed, aren't they? Health is sometimes pushing against you, and you're going, you're going I just sang a song that said, in the last days when, when, when I am weak, when I am ready to meet Jesus, I'm going to bless your name. You know, we've got issues. We've got psychological issues. We've got personal issues. We've got relational issues. There's ever a time, I think today is it, I don't think we can, we, can, we can push hope off any farther. And so we look at 1 Peter because it has been called the book of hope. John, Peter's friend, John, an apostle that walked with Jesus as long as Peter did. He walked with Jesus. John pens a book, and, and we think of it as 1 John, pretty cleverly written, titled, right? Not the book of love, but 1 John. John, the disciple to whom Jesus loved, writes a book all about love. Peter, the disciple that blew it, so often writes a letter about hope. Isn't that 
comforting to know that, that the guy who blew it so often writes a letter about hope and that we too can have hope. So if you've already turned one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop after the first three words in the text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says, Now concerning this salvation. Now concerning this salvation, stop and pause. What is salvation? Is it, is it, simply, is it simply just saying a prayer, Lord Jesus, enter my heart, Lord Jesus, ask for my forgiveness? Or is there a lot more to salvation than simply than simply just praying a prayer and asking for forgiveness and, and you can continue on as if nothing ever happened. See, I think salvation, I was going to use the illustration of a cube and I had this great graphic up there and, and it'd be a cube spinning all over the place, but then when I transfer it from one system to still, and I said, this isn't good, and so I'm going to do a little bit of graphics to help you along think through it, but, but the question we have before you is what is salvation? What is it? Is it simply faith? Is it simply what Jesus did for it? Or is it a lot more complex? This is going to be a review real quick like of the first nine verses in Peter. And Peter explains it because he explains it because he wants us now to live and apply the idea of what is salvation. See, salvation is a multi-dimensional facet of the Christian faith. It's not just one thing. It's not just, here's, here it is, you prayed the prayer, now you're a Christian. Salvation is so much more. I prayed a prayer, now I'm a Christian. Watch, watch what Peter says as he highlights what salvation is. First thing he says is, he says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Salvation, it is obedient. Faith in Jesus Christ. I think he's careful with his words, and he just doesn't say it's faith in Jesus. It's faith. Even the demons, they know who Jesus is. They, don't, they, have, they have a minute amount of faith. They don't even need to know. But, but it is obedient faith. It is faith that says, yes, Jesus, you said to do this, I will do this. It is faith that says, I will go where you tell me to go. It is faith that says, you said, I said, you are Lord. You proclaim on my knee. And I humbly say, I will do what you want me to do. Go where you want me to go. Be what you want me to be. It is obedient faith in Jesus Christ. Next, it is the sanctifying work of the Spirit in the lives of the obedient. It is the Holy Spirit working in you past when you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. He forgave you. He, he sanctified you. He is currently sanctifying you. He will always sanctify you. Your past, your present, and your future are sanctified, are made holy, are set apart by God. It is the work of the Spirit in those who are obedient. I really like that idea, is that if you are obeying Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, I like that. I think that that's great, because then all of a sudden we go, oh, I'm following what Jesus told me to do. And what he told me to do is not hard. It is the great mercy of God expressed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is God saying, I love you, and, and, and you've got a problem, you've got sin in your life, and and." I need to do something about that sin issue because you can't. And so God sends his son, his son born of a virgin, his son walking on earth as a human, his son living a human life, his son being the perfect sacrifice for you, being nailed to the cross, dying on the cross, his in the tomb, but you can't keep the creator inside the creation. It just doesn't work. Our God, our, there's no hole in the earth that could hold our God. 
because he created the earth and, and he knows how everything works and, and no, no death is going to keep him forever. And so our God bursts out of that hole and says, no, 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 I'm alive. So our Jesus is alive. Our Jesus is living. Our Jesus is waiting for the day that we will meet him. It is the, a resurrection of Jesus Christ, something we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks. It is entering into, salvation is entering into a living hope. It is being birthed anew into a living hope, not a dead hope. And so it tells you a little bit about what, about what Peter is addressing as he writes this issue. They, they, were, they were hoping in things that ultimately were dead, hoping that, well, if I just win the lottery, that will solve all of my problems. You know, most lottery winners declare bankruptcy. Most lottery winners admit that if they were honest with themselves, they would choose not to win the lottery. And some of you go, oh, well, give me a try, right? Because, because that's a dead hope. Really, having all the money that you've ever wanted will not satisfy the deep longing of being loved and, and loving and being in significant relationship with God. Money won't do it. Pleasure won't do it. Those things won't do it because you've been made for and designed to have a living hope, the God who conquered death for you. He's alive, and he wants a living relationship with you. Next. Salvation, it is obtaining an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. It is, it is God giving you this new birth into an inheritance, an inheritance that will never perish. It's not like some of the vegetables you still have in your refrigerator today. Right? Some of you guys probably have that old cucumber that's kind of shrunken up and going, ah, oh, it's a little green. Yesterday I took a piece of sausage out of our refrigerator and I said, oh, this has new growth on it. I gave it to my dogs, and so, because, you know, that's what you do. And, um, you know, it perishes. Your inheritance will never go rotten. Your inheritance will never, ever spoil. Your, your inheritance will never, ever fade. Imagine some, when something fades, it fades over time, right? It doesn't fade instantly. If, if, if you ever, you notice a house, and you notice, wow, one day that was a brilliant, bright color, and a couple of years later, it's kind of a dull sheen that that color faded. Your hope, your hope in Jesus Christ will never fade. It will never perish. It will never spoil. You've been granted an inheritance that is going to be as new tomorrow as it was 10 years ago. Thank you. Yeah, you guys got it? You guys got it? You got this inheritance that's going as brilliant tomorrow as it was yesterday. Next, your salvation. It is an anticipation of the revealing of Jesus Christ when he returns. It is the acknowledgement, we're going to get into this in a couple of minutes, that, that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back and he's going to return and you can anticipate it. You can anticipate it. What does it say? This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who through faith, wait, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed Continued on a little farther, it says that the proven genuineness of your may result in the praise and the glory and the honor when Jesus is revealed. There is a day coming. There is a day coming when Jesus will reveal himself. What is he going to catch you doing? Watch this. We're going to get to that in a moment. Next, salvation. Peter writes eight different things, and so if you're filling along the blank, go ahead and continue on. Salvation, it is loving him who you do not see. It is an act of faith. 
It is loving him who you do not see. Though you have not seen him, you love him. No one in this room has ever met Jesus Christ personally. You've not shaken his hand, and yet you love him. You've not talked to him, but you believe in him. And even though you do not see him, you believe in him. And that brings God glory. The fact that you're here today and you sang some songs, the fact that you're listening attentively is bringing God glory because you love him who you have not seen and you believe in him who you do not yet see. I give you kudos for being willing to be strange, being willing to take your Sunday morning and instead of sleeping in, instead of doing yard work, instead of, instead of going shopping or instead of just being lazy and, and lounging around in your PJs, Lindsay, instead of being lazy, lounging around to your PJs all morning long... <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that, huh? Um, worship God. Give you kudos for that, church. Way to go. God is pleased with your being present here today. Next, the last one. It is expressing the inexpressible and glorious joy you have in Jesus Christ. What is salvation? It is your, your feeble attempt sometimes to express the inexpressible. How do you describe God? How do you, how do you praise God in a way that says, God, you are worthy of this? And you know that this is just a small little voice that's breaking. And that's the best you can give. You, you, you're trying your best to your friends and to your family sometimes to express the inexpressible. And your, your words just don't make sense. You come jumbled up and trying. But God of glory, God of peace is pleased with you for trying. You get to express because that's what salvation is. It is expressing the inexpressible and glorious joy that you have in Jesus Christ. Church, that's a summation, that's a rehash of the first nine verses that we looked at last week. What is salvation? But Peter has an idea. Well, what makes a good sermon? And Peter says, first thing you do is, is you think about who God is, and so you use your mind. And then, then you've got to apply it, and that's what we're going to look at. Peter now applies it, and so this is the practical side of salvation. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation that we just read. The prophets who was to come, that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. In other words, there were prophets, and Isaiah being one of them, and the other prophets, and, and Daniel and Ezekiel, they, they said, God, when is this going to happen? And God said, it's going to happen in the future. And they searched, and they searched, and they prayed, and they prayed. And, and God said, no, no, that's not for you. That's for us. And so he said, hold off, prophets. It was revealed to them that they were, that they were serving you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you. The prophets of old, think of it, think of it this way. The prophets of old, Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Moses and Joshua and, and Hezekiah and Hosea. And think of this. They spoke so that you could have a relationship with Jesus. They searched and they listened to God. And God said, you know what? What you're saying today isn't for you. It's for them. And so they, they used their words carefully so that you could grow closer to God. I think that's a, that's a fantastic thing, knowing that thousands of years People have been, God is wanting to reveal his word, his truth to you as well. Amen to that. 
Okay, let me, yeah, let's go back. I don't even know where I started, so I'll go back to the beginning. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels longed to look into those things. So the first thing we're going to see is we're going to see that we need to be alert. We need to be fully sober. He's going to say, therefore, therefore, with minds that are fully, are alert and fully sober. I tried to think about this, and we're going to take a little mental break, pause, relax for a minute. Remember the days when you had, when we had a company called Kmart? Remember Kmart? And I remember when I was little going into Kmart, and they would say, attention blue light shoppers, attention blue light shoppers. Um, there are a pair of jeans with very long legs that are on sale for... $15, come now for this immediate discount. You guys remember those days of Blue Light Special? And how many, okay, let's raise hands. How many of you guys remember them? Okay, everybody under 30, over 30, right? Because <laughs> nobody under 30 shops at Kmart anymore. So, so I don't even know where there is a Kmart. Is the Redlands Kmart still open? Okay, so you got the Redlands Kmart still open. And then beyond that, any other? Where's, where's one? In San Bernardino? Ontario, yeah, there, there are very few of them, right? So you can't hear that announcement for the blue light special. Last time I was in Kmart, there was a Kmart um, in closing down in Riverside. It was depressing. <laughs> You'd go in, you go, boy, no wonder this store is going out of business. It just doesn't look good. Anyways, there was blue light special, and the blue light would alert you, hey, hey, come, get a, get a cheap watch, get some long-legged jeans, you can do whatever you want. The sale is instantly. And that's not what Peter's talking about when he says be prepared. It is an alert, but not the kind of alert that says there's a great discount. It is an alert that says something like this on the makings. I'm giving you a warning. A warning is that you, a fire engine going down with red lights, what it tells you is that there's an emergency. There, there, you, need to be, you need to be extremely cautious. You need to be prepared because something isn't going right. And the idea behind the word is actually that they would say, it, in some versions it says, you gird up your loins, gird up and have your minds sober, ready for action. It is the idea that, that you are prepared to get into battle. You are prepared to run the race. And so, and so I decided this morning that these shoes aren't good enough to run in. Because if I was going to run, or if I was going to walk very far, you know, these shoes are, you know, I would slip and fall. And so I had my son my daughter bring other shoes for me because I want to be prepared to run the race. I want to be prepared for action. And so you got to put on some shoes that are action-oriented shoes. And Beth challenged me to do this standing up, but I'm not going to tie my shoes standing up because I will fall. And I fall farther than other people. <laughs> you know, so if you're three foot tall, you can fall, and it's not that far. And I've broken, many, I've broken my arms multiple times, and, and you know, car, the carpet's cushiony, but I just don't want to take a risk. So I am now ready for action. I want to challenge you guys to put your shoes on, to be prepared for the battle, armor of God on, to put, put your, and prepare yourself, gird your minds, and, and, and just be ready, be ready, be attentive, because the enemy, he prowls around like a lion, He's waiting for those to devour. And he's devouring people who, who are casual about their faith, who are hanging out dressed up and not really paying attention about life. They're just going, you know, things are here, things are bad. They're, they're kind of shallow in their faith. They're not eager. They're not attentive. 
Listen to what the same idea comes out of this verse. Be dressed and ready. Let's get real here. I'll read the passage and we'll talk about it. It says, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning, waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and he knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Jesus tells his disciples, it will be good for those servants whose master finds him watching when he comes. The idea of the parable, the story, is that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return, and he's got servants. He's got you watching over his estate, watching over his house, watching over his property. And he's gone for a bit. And one day, Jesus is going to come back. What kind of business is he going to catch his servants working at? What is his, is he sitting back, lounging around, playing video games and cruising? What is, what is he going to find his servants doing? Is he going to find his, his mansion a mess? Is he going to find his yard unkept? Is he going to find his, his place destroyed? Apathy amongst those who work for him and call him Lord? Or is he going to find a mansion clean and prepared? Servants anticipating and eager for, to meet their master. Is he going to find servants with lights lit and going, any day, any moment, my master is going to come back and I am prepared to meet him. I've doing my job. He's hired me to do this. He's, he's prepared me to do that. And I am doing what he has asked me to do. And so when he comes back, ready to meet him, and I am going to express some inexpressible joy. That should convict us, right? That should truly say, say, God, God, I, I am apathetic about my faith. Honestly, I haven't. Uh, if you were to come back, you would look at my spiritual room and it's mess. I'm not prepared to meet you. I am not prepared. And there comes a time that you've got to repent. You've got to let go and you've got to say, God... I am so sorry that I am not a good steward of that which you have called me to do. Father, forgive me. Help me be prepared to meet you. Because we don't know exactly when he's going to come back. But we do want to be doing what he's wrecked. Okay. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed. Here's another outline. Long for the return of Jesus Christ. Long for the return of Jesus Christ. Don't just forget that it's going to happen. Don't just pretend that one day, well, maybe. Long for it. May, because, because that's the difference of where your heart's desires are. Are your heart's desire that everything on earth is going to satisfy your needs? Everything on earth is going to take care of who you are? Or is your longing desire to be with Jesus and wherever Jesus is, what he has called you to do? I think you want to be there doing what he's called you to do, prepared and equipped to do exactly what he wants you to do. And therefore, when you meet him face to face, he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Instead of, away from me, for I never knew you. Long for the return of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Second thing you need to do, the application of this is by holiness and let go of your past desires. 
as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so you too be holy. How do you become holy? And, and is holy such a Christian word that you go, oh, I don't want to be one of them? Think, does this conversation honor God? Does this conversation bring glory to him? Does this conversation help the reputation of God become enhanced? The reputation of God, good. Does that thought that you're having, that doubt, that does it belong in the kingdom of God? Are you living in holiness in the most intimate place in your mind? Holiness where nobody else knows what you dwell on, those secrets that you keep, those moments of quiet solitude. Give those old passions, those old desires over to God and say, God, I want to be holy. And so how do you become holy? You, you, you engage in a Christian community, a community of people who are longing to be holy. You get involved with people's lives. You don't just attend, but you start to intermesh your life like my fingers. You intermesh your life together. You rub shoulders by those who love Jesus because you know that, that you offend them, they offend you, therefore you're able to love them. And you practice loving and engaging in a relationship with people who are also struggling soldiers in the journey. Let go of your past desires. The next one says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, your work will be judged, and it won't be judged by someone who has, who has an agenda. It's God. He will judge you partially. Live out your times as foreigners here in reverent fear. Foreigners here in reverent fear. I'm going to sidebar for a second because I was listening to a book actually about tornadoes and stuff on the way here this morning to church. Why not listen to a book about weather, right? And one of the things that they, the National Weather Service did was the National Weather Service, they, they were giving out warnings whenever a tornado would hit. And the warning would say, okay, you got 20 minutes till a tornado hits. Well, what happens was that people were still dying. And they, and they said, well, maybe the warning is not big enough. And so, so they asked the National Weather Service to make it an hour, give people an hour to get to get into safety. And, and people would do foolish things. One of the worst places you could be in a tornado is in your car. Because even an F1 will turn that thing like a topsy, an F2 will launch it, an F5 will send it to Kazakhstan. I don't know, it'll take it way, way roof from here, right? And, and so, so they found out that people, they would, they would hear the warning, but they wouldn't pay attention to the warning because they believed that because a tornado never hit their town that they were safe. And then they would go to the place that they were most comfortable with was the church. And, I'm sorry, not the church, but their house, because that's where they felt the safest. They would go to the most secure place they would go to would be their house. And in the house, they wouldn't seek the shelter that was built to withstand a tornado. They would seek maybe a bathtub and put a mattress over the top of it. And so a lady was killed in her house because a car came through the roof and landed on her bathtub. There's no mattress in the world that's going to stop an F-150 landing on your bathtub. Because they, they weren't living as foreigners. They were trying to say, this is the most comfortable place I have. And they would continue to live the life thinking, well, it's not going to happen to me there. Church, you need to live out your life as foreigners because there's danger. And, and sometimes we stop sounding the alarm because that danger has never hit us. Anything, anything, anything in this world 
basing it upon Jesus Christ who died for you, who's alive. Be a foreigner amongst other foreigners. Be safe in the arms of Jesus instead of in the bathtub. Right? For you know that it was with not with perishable things such as gold that you were redeemed. Again, what are they struggling with? From the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. He, Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for your sake. A couple of more verses. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and your hope are in God. And by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. The last command that Peter gives in this chapter is this, that you love one another deeply. Love one another. Might be people in here who are of a different generation. Love one another. Might be people in here who are of a different race. Love one another. Might be people here who are of a different gender. Love one another. Although, be careful. Um, <laughs> no such flirting, okay? Uh, so, so, love one another. Find people that are different from you. It is really easy like you. It is really good to practice your Christian faith and love those people who challenge you. Love those people who are difficult. Love those people who are really hard to love. And you know what it means to be loved because you know what it's like when someone loves you. Reciprocate that which you deeply desire. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all the people, they are like grass. You've seen the rains, right? You've seen the fields are all gray, all green a couple of months. They're going to be brown, right? Imagine he's talking about the hillsides of the Inland Empire, the, the California poppies that are going to be here today and gone tomorrow. For all the people are like grass. All of their glory is like the flowers in the fields. The grass withers. The people pass. Generation comes and generation goes. Leaders come. Leaders go. Servants come. Servants go. But the word of God stands forever. This morning, church, I want you to place your faith in, in the trustworthiness and the trueness of the word of God. And I want this to be true. I want you to be alert. I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to long for the return. I want you to live a life marked by holiness. And I want you to love one another deeply. And in doing so, you will be applying the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to hear from the echoes of Peter to our hearts. Lord Jesus, may these words penetrate and permeate and cause us, Lord, to be people of faith, odd, distinct, unique, powerful servants for you. Cause us, Lord, to fall deeper and deeper in love with you every day as we love others. In your name, Jesus, I pray. 
Amen.